It's August 17th. I hope you're all doing well today. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, and it's great to have you with us on this worthy adventure. We are traveling through all 66 books of the Bible in a year, and with God's help, absorbing the full narrative, exposing hidden riches, the unfailing promises, and the priceless truths of Scripture. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in historic Concord, Massachusetts. One of my other hats that I wear is that of being the producing director and musical composer for New Life Fine Arts. The reason I mention this is that tomorrow we will start reading the book of Esther, which we recently adapted as a musical theater piece and premiered in the Boston area. But before we begin the book of Esther, we must conclude reading the book of Nehemiah. And our reading today opens with a musical extravaganza. There are carefully choreographed processions of singers, percussions, stringed instruments, and trumpets. We will read of parading choirs, marching and singing in a coordinated fashion with the vocal directors. Of course, I'm speaking of the great event when the wall of Jerusalem is dedicated to the Lord. God calls His people to be a holy nation. He defines its citizenship and works towards the establishment of His rightful rule. So as we conclude the book of Nehemiah today... We will continue our progress through Paul's letter to the Corinthians as he addresses the blind spots in the church life. New Testament believers are given true spiritual liberty through the gospel, but that liberty should not steamroll over cultural sensibilities, but rather should entreat people to follow the example of Christ the Liberator, who with humility and gentleness became a servant of all. So let's ready ourselves to step out on today's excursion with our first stop in 5th century B.C. Jerusalem, and witness the festivities on this special day in the restoration of the city of God. Nehemiah chapter 12 is where we start, beginning with verse 27. Lord, we ask that you open the eyes of our hearts' understanding and that we will glean from today's readings truth that transforms. We know that it is by your work, O Lord, that we are changed. We thank you, Father, for your goodness to reveal the way, the truth, and the life to us in the person of your Son. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying these truths to our hearts and for calling us to life. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 12, verse 27, the dedication of the wall. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Maai, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani, 
with the musical instruments of David the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate they went straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yashana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And the priest, Eliakim, Maasiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Eloianai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Maasiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehoanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the firstfruits, and the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Nehemiah's Final Reforms Chapter 13 On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave of the king, and came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God, with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field.
So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pediah of the Levites, and as their assistant Hanan the son of Zakur, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading winepresses on the Sabbath, and bringing in heaps of grain, and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods, and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah, in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut, and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates, that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them, and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves, and come and guard the gates, to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair, and I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin." Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sambalat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the firstfruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. And this concludes today's portion from the Old Testament, and it concludes our reading of the book of Nehemiah. And now, as is our custom, we will take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. Chapter 12, verses 27 through 47 
record the joyous dedication of the wall. It was a musical spectacle. Two great choirs paraded on the walls. One went to the right, with trumpets and a variety of other musical instruments. Nehemiah joined the procession that went to the left. Both choirs circled the city with leaders following them. They arrived at the temple. For they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification, together with the singers and the gatekeepers, in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 45. And on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. In verse 43. On this day there was also the public reading of Scripture. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1. When we hear a message from God's Word, we need to ask the question, What am I to do about it? When they heard Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 to 5, they realized there had been slippage in their worship practices. Although there had been previous reforms, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 2, and chapter 10, verse 28, there were still those who were accommodating the worship of the Ammonites. Nehemiah remained a subject and employee of King Artaxerxes during all this time, and he returns to the king's court in Babylon. Twelve years later, he once again asks for permission to return to Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 6, when Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem, he once again shows himself to be a strong leader with courageous conviction. He discovers four abuses and confronts the abusers directly. First, Eliashib, the high priest. He had welcomed and offered permanent accommodation in a room in the temple for Tobiah, the man who had done so much to hinder the rebuilding of the wall. Nehemiah rightly discerned that Tobiah continued to undermine God's work and his presence in the temple should not be tolerated. He personally threw Tobiah and his furniture out of the room. He then orders that the room be thoroughly cleaned and the temple belongings returned to their rightful place. The second abuse he confronts is when he discovers that the Levites were not being adequately supported by the tithes of the people and the Levites had to take outside jobs rather than fulfill their full-time responsibilities in the service of the temple. The priests and singers had returned to their fields outside the city. Nehemiah restored the singers, priests, and Levites back to their posts and exhorted the people of Judah to fulfill their promised commitment to provide tithes to support the work of the Lord. The third abuse that Nehemiah confronted was that the Sabbath was not being honored and people were carrying on with their work on the seventh day. Foreigners were coming into the city to offer their wares and profaning the Sabbath. Nehemiah orders that the city be closed for business on the Sabbath day. He appointed supervisors to be stationed at the gates to ensure this order was carried out. Nehemiah petitions the Lord to aid him and remember him in this important work. The fourth abuse that Nehemiah had to confront was that once again the men were marrying women from heathen nations and raising their children in the ways and language of their mothers. None of the children could even speak the language of Judah. Nehemiah confronts the offenders and gets physical. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 25, he rebukes them for repeating the error of King Solomon in verses 26 and 27. One of the high priest's sons married the daughter of Sanballat and defiled the priesthood. The book of Nehemiah concludes with Nehemiah praying that the Lord will remember that he did what he could, and that is a noble desire, and one that's found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 8. 
In Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 30 to 31, Thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task, and I arranged for the supply of wood at appointed times and for the firstfruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. So now we move on from the book of Nehemiah to our New Testament reading, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 3 to 16. 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 3 through 16. Once again, there's a discrepancy in some of the one-year Bible versions. Some editions of the one-year Bible begin with verse 1 of chapter 11. So that's where I will start. 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, for he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament, Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. The Christian church was the only section of society in the Roman Empire that welcomed people of every social strata, male, female, bond, free, Jew, Gentile, rich, and poor. The gospel brought freedom and hope to women, children, and slaves. Some carried this freedom to excess and were sending signals that misrepresented the gospel, causing confusion and disorder in the church and its witness to the world. Paul recognized that this was happening, especially with the women in the church at Corinth. They were stating their independence from men in a way that undermined the expression of God's design for interdependence. Paul clarifies that there is a prescribed order of male headship in creation. This order is to be reflected in the home and in the church. Submission is not surrender, withdrawal, or apathy. It is not mindless acquiescence. God did not make the male as superior to the woman, but he was made first. He is to be considered the head or the accountable authority and source. As the Trinity share equal status, dignity, and privileges in a community of oneness, so also do men and women in Christ. However, the roles and persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit differ, so do the role and persons of the husband and wife. The woman draws her existence from the man, 
and therefore is placed alongside the man and derives the full value of the man. Jesus is co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but he willingly put himself in submission to them, both in order to fulfill his mission. The same is true in marriage and in the church. God's pattern of headship is never to accommodate lording it over or bossiness. By divine design, humankind is made in God's image, male and female. The relationship of husband to wife and wife to husband is to represent the mutual respect that each member of the Trinity has for each other. In functional terms, in Genesis chapter 2, we see that the woman has her origin in the man, and yet, since then, every man is born of a woman. Paul highlights this balance and counterbalancing in verse 12. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Paul describes how this truth can be exhibited in the cultural context of his day. Under Jewish law, in Jewish society, if a woman were proved guilty of adultery, she would have her hair uncovered, in Numbers chapter 5, verse 11, probably meaning her hair cut off. Therefore, to have her hair uncovered was a signal of shame. In the Greek culture of Corinth, a woman who had short hair or who flaunted her uncovered loose hair was giving a signal to the general public that she had no husband, had loose morals, or was a prostitute. For a Christian woman to flaunt her genuine liberty by cutting her hair or appearing without a head covering would be misrepresenting the gospel in the eyes of her non-Christian neighbors. More than that, it would be giving observing angels an indication that she was misunderstanding a divine truth. The angels know well the tactics, the danger, and the disastrous consequences of the devil's attempt to usurp God-given authority. Now for our next stop on our Bible reading tour, we are going to the book of Psalms, Psalm 35, verses 1 through 16. Great is the Lord, a Psalm of David. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling they rejoiced and gathered, they gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. 
Psalm 35 is a psalm of David written as he is being relentlessly pursued by King Saul and his men. He appeals to the Lord to be his defender, his sword, his shield, his deliverer, his help, and his way of escape. He asks the Lord to counsel his fears. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Psalm 35, 3. We sense that David is asking for some emotional reinforcement for his faith convictions. He appeals to the angel of the Lord that led Joshua into the battle of Jericho to take charge of his battle with Saul. David's words in verse 7 foreshadow the sufferings of Christ at the hands of men. They hated him without a cause. In John chapter 15, verse 25, we read in Psalm 35, verse 7, For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my soul. David anticipates God answering his prayer for deliverance from his enemies and resolves that his soul will rejoice in the Lord and give him worship in verses 9 through 10 and in verse 18. He humbly admits his struggle when God delays answers to his prayer and his enemies continue to taunt him. He asks, How long, Lord? in verse 17. That is a question that is repeated often in the Psalms and often by those of us trapped in the continuum of time where, unlike God, we cannot see the end from the beginning, in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. Now let's go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 21, verses 17 and 18. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous, and the traitor for the upright. God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, but if our love for pleasure eclipses our love for God and our pursuit of enjoyment becomes greater than our pursuit of doing what is right before God, we will become ensnared. This is a practical warning for those who adopt a self-indulgent lifestyle. It leads to poverty. Verse 18 will be illustrated in the book of Esther, which we start reading tomorrow. The wicked Haman, who intended to destroy Mordecai on the gallows he constructed, will ironically be put to death on those same gallows and liberating Mordecai and the Jews from the sentence of death. The word ransom, as it is used here, implies liberation. Instead of the righteous being destroyed by the conniving of the treacherous, the treacherous are destroyed in place of the upright. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, help us to be true to your word and to offer correction to our brothers and sisters when needed in a humble-hearted way. Teach us to exercise our privileges in prayer and praise. We cast all our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. Thank you for giving us such a perfect example of selfless concern and humble submission in the person of your Son. May your glory be reflected in the church and in our marriages in such a way that those who observe us will know that we serve our living head. In his name we ask it. Amen. Well, we trust you were encouraged by your reading today and that your mind is being renewed to understand that Christianity is a relationship with the living God and having your life transformed through what Jesus has accomplished for us as our Lord, Savior, rightful King, future Judge, present help, and our very new life eternal. If you would like to know more about New Life Community Church, New Life Fine Arts, you can go to our website, newlife.org or newlifefinearts.org. You are also welcome to subscribe to a daily email with a commentary on the one-year Bible reading of the day and tap into other resources. If you have any questions, comments, prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at podcast at newlife.org. 
Don't forget to join us tomorrow. We're starting the book of Esther, and we'll be learning more about the New Testament church life in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Until then, may your heart be filled with thankfulness, and may the Holy Spirit be given full ascendancy over your soul as you speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Shalom. Shalom.